Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Happy New Year, my friends. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez with you. So today, as I'm recording this, it is 2019. It's hard to believe that we are entering another year. So my prayer, my hope and prayer for you is as we continue to study the life and teaching of Jesus Christ, that we would become more like him. So when you and I go back to whatever podcast that you can remember as we're going through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in chronological order, whatever God was teaching you in 2018, my friends, I pray that it will expand and continue to grow in 2019. Whatever knowledge that we had in 2018, whatever love for God and for his people and to advance his kingdom, whatever desire and passion you had in 2018, I pray that that will continue to grow, that we continue to foster that for the glory of God in 2019. Now, one of my goals in 2019, and so please pray for me, is that we would finish the Gospels in this this coming year. I, I mean, it's a challenge as I'm kind of looking through uh, the previous podcasts and looking at the ones that I've already been writing on and studying and praying over. Uh, we could possibly do this. I'm not sure, but that's my goal. So hopefully in 2019, you and I will finish the Gospels together. And you think, well, Jay, what are we going to be doing in Stand Strong in the Word after 2019? What does it look like in 2020? Well, I think that what we'll do is we'll continue in a chronological teaching in the New Testament. So we'll jump into the book of Acts. And as we explore the book of Acts, there's periods of time when certain writers like Peter and Paul particularly are mentioned. And as they're mentioned in different parts of the world, as they're expanding and spreading the gospel, there are moments when Paul in particular was writing certain epistles. And so we will pause and probably dive into those as well. I'm not sure yet, but that would be fascinating, wouldn't it be, as we do our chronological teaching of the Gospels, that we can continue to carry that on in the New Testament. So those are things that we could be praying about and anticipating in coming years. But right now, let's jump back into where we find ourselves. And that is actually now at the end of John chapter 7. There's this one little short verse, 53, that jumps right into chapter 8. And it goes from verses 1 through 11. And the title for today is The Woman Caught in Adultery. Now, on my study notes, you can check those things out, standstrongministries.org. Click on podcast, and there are the notes there in the audio, whether you're listening on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, all the different platforms. And I appreciate, once again, your guys' support. And please take note that you can link these things uh, to different platforms that you have. You can share, repost, tell people about what we're doing here on the podcast and how we're growing in our love and appreciation of Jesus Christ. Those are there for you guys. And so I just I just thank you so much for your support. And as always, you can go online, you can support us by giving so we can continue to allow this ministry to reach people around the world as it is. And I'm just so blessed and touched by that. But I want to say, as we look at this particular passage, and I, as I mentioned earlier, it's on my notes, I want to give a disclaimer. Because you see, most early manuscripts, they omit this actual text that we're going to read today on today's podcast. Now, I believe, though, that it is reasonable to conclude 
that uh, this passage of Scripture, this is a composition in the book of John, that it was actually there and we probably lost it in other early manuscripts. So I think it's a matter of composition, not a matter of conflation. And what I mean by that is I don't think that this was inserted later as a made-up story because when you do look at the particular text and when you do look in line of the Gospel of John, this is one of the great things when you're teaching something in chronological order. It actually brings proper context to the situation because it kind of sometimes explains why in this case the writer John put this as a leading story after what had just occurred. So when you go back in Scripture and you look at what we just have been reading about on the podcast in the book of John, it, we were at the Feast of Tabernacles or also known as the Feast of Booths. Remember that that had just ended and, and what Jesus did is he went to the Mount of Olives and, and then he returns to the temple to teach the people. Now, remember the Pharisees and the scribes, they were really angry. They were still angry over the fact that Jesus wasn't arrested. To go back to John chapter 7, 44 through 48, the crowd were believing in verses 40 and 41 of John 7 that Jesus could possibly be the Messiah. Of course, there was a big, huge debate about that. And I believe this passage is true because it shows that they they took another step to think, okay, how can we get Jesus to break the law? Because remember, they're shocked that he hadn't been arrested before in John chapter 7. And so they wanted to find a way, a ploy, if you will, to get Jesus to break the law and therefore have him arrested and, of course, eventually be executed. So that was their strategy. So I think in the context of Scripture that we're going to be reading today, I think it fits not just in the style of Jesus, his tone, his approach, the the uh, the method in which he asked and posed questions. Again, he's put in this dilemma where you don't think it's a win-win situation. And once again, Jesus in his perfection and brilliancy, he's able to stir away, to draw away, and not to fall into the trap. And so I really believe that this was uh, a documented incident and somehow in church history got lost in some early manuscripts. Now, I can talk more and more about that apologetically, but I digress. Let's jump right into the context of Scripture, and let's kind of get the main thrust of what you and I can learn in John chapter 8 today. So in John 7, verse 53, it says, They went each to his own house, and then John 8, verse 1, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down, and he wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And he said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. Okay, so right off the bat, we see here uh, the people that went to their own homes. This is in reference to the crowd that contemplated if Jesus was the Messiah or not. 
So again, the Feast of Tabernacles ends after a long week of celebrating it and debating over Jesus' identity. The people eventually disbanded and they go home. Okay, so that oftentimes happened, just like any type of event, if you will. Now, obviously, the Feast of Tabernacles or booths, people are living among one another throughout the nation in honor of what God had done for their their ancestors. And, and it's also a reflection of to come of God establishing his kingdom with them. So they're communed together, they're celebrating together, and then they start going back now to their home. So they're taking down their booths and they're heading home. And so in some ways, people are believing that Jesus is the Messiah. Think about how exciting that is. In other ways, of course, people are still skeptical about it. In this case, as we just read, there are the Jewish leaders who are finding another way, another opportunity, another ploy to try to lure Jesus in, get him to break the law, and use that to condemn him. So that's what we see here. And so, But Jesus, from this point on, he goes to the Mount of Olives. Now, Mount of Olives is going to be a place that we're going to be discussing later on in the gospel. So keep that in mind. But here in verse 2, it says, early in the morning, literally at daybreak, he came again to the temple. So now we're just told right away that you know, since they were in Jerusalem area celebrating the end of the tabernacle, uh, Feast of Tabernacles, there Jesus is, and he goes out to the Mount of Olives, and then he comes back in. Why? Because he's going to teach the people. And so it says the people came and they sat down. It just literally means that Jesus is taking a position of authority as a teacher to teach them. Now, despite the attempts, this is what's cool. You think about it, the situation, the debate we just saw with Jesus in John chapter 7. Despite that they wanted to arrest him and try to get the soldiers to get him and the Jewish guards, Jesus still returns to the temple literally the next day to teach. This shows that Jesus was determined. He was bold. He was relentless. I love that about Jesus. And I just pray that before we go any further in context, I just pray when you and I see that, that he gets up and he goes early in the morning to teach the people, knowing full well that they're gonna, there was going to be a setup that day, knowing full well that they wanted to arrest him, knowing full well that they were so angry and livid with him. I mean, these people were in charge of the temple. He didn't care. He was a poor rabbi. He was looked down upon by them. He wasn't educated by any of them. And yet he still goes and a crowd of people are there to sit at his feet and to learn from him. And so then in verse three, it says, the scribes and the Pharisees, they brought a woman. So in the midst of his teaching, they bring a woman caught in adultery this literally means this word for caught, seized in her shame, and they place her in the midst. So they're bringing her to uh, the temple. Now, I mean, think about this. This is a no-no in, in so many different levels. One, she's a woman. Remember, they had the place where the women went, where the Gentiles went, and where the Jewish men went. And here Jesus being a man and he's teaching, he's probably in a setting where predominantly, if not all, were men listening to him and they interrupt his teaching and they throw a woman. We don't know her condition, if she was fully naked or half clothed or whatever, but they grab her and they throw her in front of Jesus and they say to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Like, could you believe this? But look what we found, this shameful woman. And of course they have to teach him, Jesus and the rest of the people in front of him now, of course, you know, in the law, Jesus, Moses commanded us that we need to stone this woman. So what do you say? Almost like 
getting the crowd to look at Jesus like, yeah, what do you what do you think, Jesus? I mean, these are the religious leaders, and that's shameful. Look at this sinful woman. We need we need to do something here. We need to judge her. And of course, it says they said this to test. It just literally means they try to trip him up that they might have some charge to bring against him. So the scribes and the Pharisees, if you look at the situation in context, they either concocted the story, okay? This was totally made up. It didn't happen that way. Maybe she was an actor or it was a setup. The whole thing was a setup. Maybe they used this man because remember, this man is never mentioned. The woman who was caught in adultery with this woman was never mentioned. We don't know if he was a married man or it was a whole setup or they used this woman or she was a prostitute of some sort or they were in a relationship and they knew about it. We don't know. Okay, so that's all speculative. But what we have in front of us is a woman who apparently was caught in adultery. Now, according to the law, there had to be two eyewitnesses that saw the crime being committed. Now, it's interesting because one commentary said regarding the scribes and Pharisees, it says they foiled in their yesterday's attempt, hoping to succeed better in this. So when you go back to John 7, they failed there, and they're hoping to try to do something here. In this case, they're using a woman caught in adultery. Now, this phrase, Moses commanded to stone such a woman, when they said this to Jesus, if you go back, remember, in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles, just a few days prior to all this, Jesus had responded to the religious leaders in the temple courts by saying this in John 7, 18 and 19. He says, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? So notice that Jesus says, you guys speak on your own authority. You don't speak on behalf of God. Why do you try to kill me when I have been fulfilling the law of God? Now, all of a sudden, they're bringing up the law. Moses commands us, Jesus, you just said that we're not of the law, that we speak on our own authority, but we're speaking on behalf. We're speaking the law of Moses here. And so all of a sudden, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're bringing up Moses as a way to pretend they follow the laws of Moses. You go back to Leviticus 20, verse 10, and Deuteronomy 22, 22. David Guzik, he writes this, It is true that adultery was a capital offense under Jewish law, but the rules for evidence in capital cases were extremely strict. The actual act had to be observed by multiple witnesses who agreed exactly in their testimony as a practical matter, virtually no one was executed for adultery since this was a relatively private sin. So what do you say? So they throw this out at him and they, they put this ploy to try to get Jesus to break the law. Because you see, if Jesus said to release her, then he would be undermining the law and condoning adultery. On the other hand, Jesus said to execute her by stoning her. And if he agreed with him, says, you're right, Moses does say this. And you guys are presenting this at the temple in front of me, and you're right, let's, she needs to be stoned. If Jesus agreed with them, then he would be perceived as cruel, and also he'd be breaking the Roman law because they had the final execution rights. So again, this was not a win-win situation for Jesus. You know, it seemed like on face value. Now, it says they said this to test him so they could bring up a charge. So remember, the scribes and the Pharisees, again, time and time again, they break the law. They're not living the law. The whole time, but they do it just to try to get Jesus to break the law or to try to show people that he's a lawbreaker so they can indict him as a lawbreaker. But in order to do that, they have to break the law for him to break the law. And not only that, 
but they also publicly exposed a woman's sin, all the while ignoring, of course, their own sin. So that was something that the Pharisees are really good at. And again, we can't miss that. I mean, we can look at that in context and think, man, these despicable people. And I don't know your stories out there, the thousands of people listening to this podcast around the world, but I do know that we're all sinful, that we all need a savior. And there are times in our lives, I'm sure, and I can even testify in my own life, and I'm ashamed to even admit it. Think about how many shameful things I did to advance my own agenda, to prove that I'm right, to get my way. And, and, and you, sometimes it's that, that tactic that we use to belittle someone, put someone else down to make us look better. And this is what they were doing. And yet they were doing it to the Son of God. Now, how does Jesus respond in all of this? I love this because it says in verse 6 that Jesus bent, literally he stooped down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. And they continued to ask him, meaning they're being persistent. They are so upset. They wanted a response to Jesus. And then he stood up. So then he gets back up and he says to them, he who is without sin among all of you, be the first to throw the stone at her. So that was Jesus's response. That was his answer. And then we're told in verse eight, and once more, he bends down and he writes on the ground. So this phrase that Jesus bent down, it was a lowly posture. So probably Jesus was doing this. His response in doing this was not to confront them face to face and stand up to the religious leaders or go directly to the woman caught in adultery. I believe he did this as a way to identify or relate with the woman that was brought with him, that was brought before him in her shame. So he, I don't think he wanted to really, you know, accelerate or escalate the situation. Now, when it comes to him writing on the ground, perhaps Jesus was writing the sins of the accusers. So by Jesus saying, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. Remember, Jesus, who is sinless, he's saying consciously to the people around to acquit themselves of such sin then. If, if you guys in this whole ordeal, again, brought by the scribes and Pharisees, if this is in fact true and, and this is not a setup, then, then you have to deal with the sin, not me. See, Jesus, he's exposing the greater sin of this setup, this elaborate scheme by the religious leaders. And he responds to them by cutting directly to the heart. And he exposes their harsh judgment. Now, that's powerful in this context in John 8, as you and I look at it. But you and I have to stop and think right now, as we're listening, my friends, of when God calls the sin out in our lives, and we try to cover it up, we try to justify it, and it's wrong. And you and I know it. So Jesus responds by cutting to the heart he says, be the first to throw a stone. See, what Jesus was doing here, my friends, was he was calling out the actual eyewitnesses to the crime. In essence, he's saying, if this really happened, as you guys say it did, then they were to step up. He's saying, you come out among the crowd and you initiate the stoning then. But the question again is, where's the man she was caught with? What would it look like for only the woman to be stoned and not the man? You see, Jesus flips the situation on the religious leaders. He took a legal issue that they brought to him and he turns it into a moral one. 
Deuteronomy 17 verse 7 says, the hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death. And afterward, the hand of all the people. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. So see, Jesus knows the law better than they do. And rather than in this huge debate about it, he just bends down and he writes on the ground again. So perhaps this is Jesus' way to allow the accusers to leave unobserved in their shame. And this says, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and, and then Jesus was left with a woman standing before him. So perhaps that phrase, you know, from the older to the younger ones, not just maybe references to the age, but also the ringleaders, the people who actually plotted the whole thing. It went from the schemers down to the people who had less involvement in this, in this ploy to try to trap Jesus. And now it's just Jesus and this woman. And remember, the crowd of people were there to listen to Jesus as he was teaching them at the temple. And he looks at this woman and says, woman, where are they who, who's condemned you? After, you know, he stands back up to her and she says to him, no one, Lord. Now this phrase condemned, it means to render a verdict of guilt. So remember, they had convicted you. They had said you had done this. Now, where are they? And she says, no one, Lord. No one is here to condemn me. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, you sin no more. So neither do I condemn you. You remember the, le the religious leaders, and this was very common, they abused the law while Jesus extended mercy and grace. I mean, that is so basic and it, where you and I clearly, a five-year-old can see that. Oh, yeah, they were abusing the law. They were undermining what the Bible teaches. They're being abusive in their position of authority. And here Jesus is extending grace and mercy as he always did. But man, we cannot, my friends, uh, take that for granted. We cannot underestimate the power of this situation. This woman is face-to-face -face with the Savior of the world. And more than likely, she was an adulterer. But we see time and time again, and John so beautifully demonstrates from John chapter 4 to here to John chapter 8, when Jesus encounters a person that's sinful. And he says, go and from now on sin no more. Now, remember, Jesus wasn't condoning her behavior. He didn't grant permission or evade adultery. What he was showing here was forgiveness. He forgave her and he challenged her not to continue in that lifestyle. So more than likely, it's true that she was having an adulterous relationship with a man. But Jesus forgave her because he could tell he knew that she was seeking for that forgiveness. Probably not at that time. And you know what's amazing as I conclude this podcast when you think about it, as we transition from her story to your story. There are many times in our lives where we are not exactly in tune with God. We're not seeking for forgiveness right off the bat. And yet God calls us. God uses a, circ a circumstance, a situation, a person to, to bring us back to him when we're not looking for it. And, and I cannot tell you how many times, even as a pastor through the years and in all my travels, how many times people came to me saying, you know, I was totally in my sin. I was totally lost. I was totally blinded. And yet God used this person. He brought this person in my life or this situation or this trial that I faced or whatever the case may be. And it just broke me and I fell on my knees and I cried out to God. And I'm just so thankful for his mercy. That's the case with this woman. And I pray that's the case for you, my friends. So whatever's going on in your life, as I always like to conclude to challenge you, that you and I need to look at our lives. And if there's sin in our lives, we need to repent of that. I'm going into 2019 saying, Lord, I do not want 
failures of 2018 to continue to hinder me. If I need more faith, God, I pray that I would be more faithful. If I was disobedient in 2018, if there was lust, if there was temptations, if there was distractions, if I need to be more disciplined, God, help me to do that through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so as you and I open the pages of God's Word and we see this beautiful story that we just learned today, and many of us have heard this story before, but I pray the takeaway is, God, you are so good. Jesus, thank you for showing us such grace and mercy and forgiveness, even when sometimes we are so blinded to it, so distracted, doing our own thing, we disregard it. We take it for granted. May that not be the case in 2019. So I pray blessings over you, my friend. Thank you for listening. Remember, continue to share these posts. Let people know about these Bible studies that they can have, this podcast. Let them know about our study guides. Let them know that we are here to help people grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Together, you and I can reach more people for Christ. Together, you and I can help more Christians continue to stand strong in their faith. Isn't that awesome to think about that? All because we open the Word of God together and we learn together and we grow together. So I pray that we will continue to expand our reach in 2019, and I can't do it without your help. So thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. Again, you can go to standstrongministries.org. You can click on donate. You guys can fund more of these type of podcasts and ways to get me around the country to share the love of Christ, to equip churches and families and young people. Man, we're doing so many exciting things, and I just can't wait to see what God has in 2019. So thank you guys so much for your love and your support. Thank you for your comments. Thank you for your emails. Thank you for dropping those notes of support. I just It just means the world to me. So until the next episode, my friends, keep standing strong in the Lord. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.